Thank you for listening to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Sign up to our Patreon to receive bonus content, live streams and our weekly newsletter with money off books and museum visits as well. Plus early access to all live show tickets. That's patreon.com slash we have ways. I'm Anthony Scaramucci, former White House Director of Communications and Wall Street financier. And I'm Katty Kay, U.S. Special Correspondent for BBC Studios. I've been covering American politics for almost three decades. Welcome to The Rest is Politics U.S., brought to you by Goalhanger. Go on, tell us, were those donations you made, like Obama in 2008, was that idealism? Were you hoping to get something out of these campaigns that would serve your own business interests, for example? So I think this will either make this podcast incredibly successful, Caddy, or people <laughs> will be horrified and they'll shut it off right now because I'm going to be very real with you. The Obama donation, I had gone to law school with President Obama. We were not classmates. I was a few years ahead of him. It was 2007. He was then Senator Obama. I had a check in my breast pocket. I went over to the senator. I said, Senator, I said, you and I didn't really know each other in law school, but I'm about to hand you a big check. Can I lie to my friends and tell them that you and I knew each other in law school? (laughs) Well, Obama looks at me, had the best smile in American politics since Jack Kennedy. Forever. Yeah. He lights up. He looks at me and says, I'll tell you what, if you double the amount of the check, we'll take it back to Hawaii. Okay. And I looked at him. I said, you're done. I had another check in my pocket. I ripped it up. I doubled the amount of the check. And I'm going to tell you right now, I've been to more White House Christmas parties during the Obama administration than the Trump administration. In this pivotal year for the United States, democracy and world affairs, Britain's biggest podcast, The Rest is Politics, is launching stateside. Uncovering secrets from inside the Biden and Trump inner circles and how they shape the world's most important economy, but also the global economy too. New episodes are released every Friday morning. Just search The Rest is Politics US wherever you get your podcasts. Scramble, scramble. Uh, <laughs> ding, 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 Hello. I'm running to my Spitfire. Uh, James is running to his Spitfire. Here we are at the Imperial War Museum again. Um, uh, James and I are joined by uh, John Delaney, head of... Second head of the Second World War, War and mid-20th century, century conflict. Oh, 1929 to 1949. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and <laughs> slap, fat, bang, in the middle of 1929 to 1949 is the Super Spitfire. And we're looking, we're up on the, th- this the third floor from the, the basement, yeah. looking down onto this, to Mark 5. To Mark, Mark one, 1. Mark 1A. Mark 1A. And I have to but say, it's in, Al, gra- it's in great, it's not ah, in... Well, there's a story. <laughs> yeah. Of course, there's, well, I hope there's a story, because Mark 1, you know, you expect to Mark 1A to be in brown, yeah. and, brown and green, don't you? Yes. This is in brown and grey, RF grey. Yeah. It's, it's, it's in the colour scheme it was in when it was at the OTU it flew at in 1944. Right. Because it, it, it ceased frontline service and then went into service to train pilots. Yeah. And this is its original livery, so we've not repainted it. This is how it came as out back in crazies, yeah. as was 1944. Wow. And I've got to say, this is my favourite Spitfire in the entire planet because <laughs> this is a 609 Squadron battle written yeah. Spitfire. And it has all sorts of, that, that squadron has all sorts of weird links for me because when I suddenly got my um, Second World War obsession, which had been lying very dormant since the age of about 11 to 27, 28, mm. um, 
I went up to Duxford for the Flying Legend show, having seen a Spitfire fly over a cricket match the yep. previous weekend. Yep. And that was my Damascene moment. And um, <laughs> uh, and I went up to Duxford, and, and there were loads and loads of second-hand bookshops. And the first book I bought was Spitfire Pilot by David Crook, right. who happened to be in 609 Squadron, which is the West White Riding Auxiliary Squadron yep. from, from up in Yorkshire Way. Yeah. They were based at Middle Wallop during the Battle of Britain. And uh, Middle Wallop is locally to me yeah, down in far, Wiltshire. It's my you, yeah. closest fighter command station. And uh, the first bit of writing I ever did about the Second World War was not non-fiction, it was actually fiction. Um, uh, a novel set to the backdrop of the Battle of Britain. And I did lots and lots of research and talking to interview uh, pilots and stuff, yeah. and including reading David Crook's book, which I'd bought at Duxford that weekend. And um, I based my fictional squadron in the novel at Middle Wallop. And, um, and here we are. And um, this was flown by um, Noel Agazarian, um, who was at Oxford with um, Leonard Cheshire, who we were talking about yeah. the other day, yeah. and, um, and also Richard Hillary, um, who was, wrote the great contemporary yeah. account, The Last Enemy, yeah. um, who was so badly burned in the Battle of Britain. Um, so lots of links there. And um, I ended up sort of writing about um, 609 Squadron, particularly when I did my Battle of Britain book, which you're going to be reading. Mm. And um, one of the pilots in this was John Dundas. And I got to know Cocky Dundas's widow, um, Robin. Right. And Cocky flew, I think, with 616 Squadron. And his older brother, John, flew with 609. And John was, uh, I got, Robin let me all his old letters, his wartime letters. And he had a kind of sort of weird affair with an older actress. Oh. Um, who was in her 40s, and he was only sort of 22, 23 at the time. And he had sort of aspirations for to be a writer and a journalist and all sorts of stuff. Um, and he was a rather amazing guy, John Dundas. He was, he was clever and witty and charming, and everyone loved him. And he was absolutely one of the team heroes in 609 Squadron. Everyone yeah. absolutely loved him. Um, and he shot down Helmut Vick, who was the great one of the great first Luftwaffe fighter races and was promptly shot down himself a matter of seconds later. <laughs> so he said, oh, I think I've got him on the radio. And literally two seconds later, he was dead. He was dead. And he was plunging down into the, into the Solent just off the Isle of Wight. And that was the end of him. And I remember finishing writing that book, which was an absolute epic undertaking. Yeah. And coming and standing up here and looking down into that cockpit. And I just had this weird moment where I could just see him in that cockpit. Well, it he was he really did fly that aircraft occasionally. Yeah, I know he did. He, when and, it was taken out was of service, just, he And was I was thinking, it. God, that, you know, this is, this is it. So how, um, how did this end up here? At the, was this a Gate Guardian for a bit? And all that sort no, of it wasn't. This is it's unusual in that um, when, before the end of the First World War, there was a realisation that there would be a need for a collection of uh, commemorative items to represent what had happened in the First World War. Yeah. That didn't really happen with the Second World War, except in one or two instances. And the RAF had identified this aircraft to go to a museum in 1944, even really? before the war had finished. Well, so well before it the was, war, the yeah, plan was it, to have it, have it, it, it in a collection. Have it in some sort of collection, not necessarily here, because that wasn't obviously known about at the time in terms of the ability, our ability to show it. But it was packed up carefully, crated after its service at the OTU, uh, and then it came to us in 1946. Right. So it's been part of the collection. Yeah, ever since. And on display that entire time. Not not always suspended like this. Sometimes on the ground. Um, uh, uh, many many years ago, it was suspended in a much more ad hoc fashion than it is now. Yeah. Uh, um, but it's always been here. Yeah. Um, and but but um, I noticed there isn't a drip tray. 
<laughs> We've done our very, very, very best to drain all the fluids out no, of because, it. Because when you <laughs> other collections, you go like Duxford, for instance, yeah. all the aircraft, there's a drip tray under the Absolutely. crucial part where, they, where there's What we've done with, with for, for instance, with the engine systems, we've, 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 uh, we've waxed it inside and out so that it's, it, it, it's not going to, no fluids are going to run through the system, but the wax oil and the waxing we've done to it has preserved all of the system as so is. So there's still an engine in there? Oh, yeah, yeah, it's all so in this there. Is, this yeah. Is, this, oh, right, so, so this is a completely as-was item, but, but it's been sort of... It's sort of been uh, frozen, sealed and frozen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. I mean, no offence, John. It could do a little dust, couldn't it? <laughs> it could. It could do now, actually. Yes, we'll need to get a cherry picker in and get the cherry picker up yeah. to, the, to this floor and, and dust it down. And Ali, you can see those two those two struts. So those two yeah. lines are going across the wing. Yeah. Okay. So that's w w one of the problems they had was they were you know when they were diving they were diving so fast yeah, sometimes. Yeah. But so they're reinforcements. They're reinforcements. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Which then, which then go into the wing properly in later marks. Exactly. Because after all. You know, the, uh, the tail's still fabric on this, isn't it? No. Nope. Is it not it's, fabric? It's a one just, on, just on the on the on the um, on no, the, one, the, the, rudder bar, the rudder. Yeah, there is bit. still fabric in the. Yes, still but not fabric the, but the in the airframe. Yes. Yeah, which, just which, on the edge. Which and on the, and on the, yeah, and the ailerons are fabric as well, aren't they? Yeah, I think so. fabric covered ailerons. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, but 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 that all gets sort of weeded out as yeah. the as the Spitfire sort of gets heavier and you know you get heavy metal ver versions later on with a much bigger engine and. More cannon and the griffin, all that sort of thing. Yeah, but it just looks job. brilliant, doesn't I it? You can see it as it should be, yeah, kind yeah. of a bit battered, not kind yeah. of absolutely not, well, too, not too pristine. You know, we yeah. don't want to make them look pristine because they they wouldn't have looked. I mean, this is not a good example because this is as it was when it came out the crate, as it were. Yeah. But with any other restoration that we've worked on over the years, we're very careful not to make it look pristine because, because that's our, not, they didn't look like that. Well, because no, after all, where the pilot's stepping on the wing to step into the cockpit, eventually you'd have, the, the, the metal work would be showing, Absolutely, the paint yeah. would be scuffed away, yeah. there'd be oil spill, there'd be fuel sp spoilage, uh, 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 exhaust um, uh, burn mm. and all that sort of thing. On, on a, on You'll a have battle, da battle damage patches of different yeah. colours all over it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it did it, look, you know, not, nothing like a production line, you know, like it's just come off the end of a production line. Was this aircraft ever damaged? Or, uh, it was, well, um, it was twice. Uh, the, the, the time it was taken out of 609 service, it was being flown by John Dundas. Right. He was attacked by an ME-1, I think he'd just shot down an ME-110. And a 109 came in and badly damaged him. He was able to land and get out okay. But that was the, the point at which this left 609 Squadron Service, because it was too badly damaged, it had to go off for maintenance unit repairs, big, big, big deep repairs. Yeah. And it didn't come back to 609. It then went to an OTU. So the last operational combat sortie, this was flown by John Dundas. Amazing. Amazing. So, that's a, you know, it's a, it's a very, very significant aircraft. It really is. And interesting, Cocky, his brother... Um, who first flew operationally at Dunkirk, um, survived the Battle of Britain, was shot down and, and had to bail out, um, later became the youngest group captain in the RAF at 23. What? As a, a commander of a fighter-bomber unit in Italy. And he wrote a very good, he wrote a really, really good um, memoir, it's called, called, I think, Flying Star, if I remember rightly. Um, and, it, and it's very good. And um, he later went on to become the CEO of Thames TV. Huh? Really? Yeah, he was quite a player. Oh, yeah. Very, very tall. Both of them are very tall. Yeah. There's a wonderful photo of the two brothers together in their RF kit with their DFC Incredible. ribbon on their and then, breast but, pockets and stuff. And then, but, and then below the Spitfire, yes. we look over, its, over, the, over the shoulder, as it were, we've the, we've the V1. That's right, yeah. Um, and again, what, what, how, many, how many V1s are there left? Because after all, 
It's not like they're... It, it, it's not like they were built to last. No, exactly. Well, unlike... <laughs> yes, exactly. Once, once they'd done their job, there was, no, there was nothing of it left. Well, the, the Allies, of course, um, got the, to the production lines. Well, the, well, the, the Dora, yeah, the Dora in the, camp. In, in Dora it? camp, yeah. in the underground uh, mine there. Have you been there, James? And, um, no, I never have. have. Been there? I, I've not been there. I've seen yeah, photographs of the inside. Very, very strange And place. a lot of these were pulled off the production line in various states of completion uh, and were taken back. This, this one came back to Farnborough. For testing right. uh, at RA, but other ones went to the states and were test flown. And wooden wings, look. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is this this was this was a, a Farnborough test bed unit that was captured right at the end of the war, uh, which is why it's complete and why it's like it um, is. At Cosford, yes. there's a V2 that's in the black and white colour scheme, isn't it? Which is yes. for testing, so you can observe its motion on film and all that that's sort of right, thing. That's all the test film you yes, see yeah. is in the black and white checker. Yeah. So and then Hergé got a bit carried away. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> We've tinted. Because it's a scud, really, isn't it? Yeah, basically. The, the V2. Yeah. But, but is this a is this a, a German colour scheme or that's, a Farnborough coloured scheme? Well, I think that's a... That's both. a German one, isn't it's it? It's a German colour scheme, but Farnborough have touched it up here and there when right. they had it in their care. They, but it's not totally original. But it is the first man-made object to go into outer space. The V2 is, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. that is, yeah. you know, regardless about they're completely inaccurate and achieve very little. Footage of, there's a, there is footage that the Americans took where they, where they put a camera on one and it, and up it goes and, and blah, space <laughs> and back down again. <laughs> it's, it's quite extraordinary. <laughs> so, Spitfire versus V1. Um, we're going to take a break now. Uh, see you in a tick. Welcome back. We've just moved round um, from uh, one sort of viewing area to another. Um, we've got a clearer view of the V1 and the V2, although right next to us, and this isn't, I mean, you stop in 1949, so we really shouldn't talk about this, but there's a Harrier jump jet. Is it a Sea Harrier or is it it's a, a GR? It's a GR9. GR9. The two tours in Helmand before it came back. Really? So it's a really, you know, pretty up-to-date piece of kit. Before they were scrapped controversially, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, we got this. Yep. The whole lot was sold to the US Marine Corps except this one, which had suffered a break fire, and it was decided that it wasn't going to be sold because it'd be too much money for the US Marine Corps to repair it, and we got the opportunity to get it, so we snapped it quick. There you go. Amazing. I mean, the heritage <laughs> behind this is extraordinary. Well, yes, because it? it's Sydney Cam, isn't yeah. it? So, and, you so know, and he joins, he joins Hawkers. Is he involved with Sopwith? I can't remember. Yeah, he's, 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 he's a Sopwith first. He's, and then he's a First World War um, yes. uh, uh, aircraft aircraft. Engineer, and then he then he joins Hawker when Sopwith gets this band. It go, yeah. go, goes forcibly. You know, they self-impose bankruptcy yeah. because of post-war um, austerity. austerity and yeah. orders right, and they reinvent themselves as Hawker, don't they? Yeah. After the First World War, pilot Hawker. Yeah. And um, yeah, and he joins them, and he and he is the he's the, the chief designer by the end of the 1920s. So a project manager, really, and 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 he goes all the way, and he goes all the way through to the Harrier. So the Nimrod, the, the Nimrod, the yeah. Hart, the yeah. the Bulldog, all those things—they're all designed by him. Yeah. And of course, yeah, and the Hunter, yeah, Hawker Hunter—that's that's, that's yeah. Sydney Cam all the way up to the Harrier. Well, the, now, the we, first, the first. Yeah, I mean, it's the first type of Harrier, which is called something completely different, and it's just completely momentarily, momentarily well, gone out of my mind. Well, the bedstead to start with, isn't there? And all those, all those aircraft VTOL experiments. Yeah, ex exactly, all those VTOL experimental aircraft. And um, yes, it's the Hawker Siddeley something else at yes. that point. I can never remember. It's a yes, PR. Okay. The, anyway, whatever. It's developed into that. That's not what I want to talk about. No, we want to um, talk about V2. Because well, we touched on Dora earlier. Um, now, if you don't, if, listeners, if they don't know this, the V1 in particular was built in, it's a, 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 a concentration stroke labour camp at a pl called the Dora Camp in Mittel 
Mittelbrow, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, which is in southern eastern Germany, and uh, it's a gypsum. It was a gypsum mine, so mm. it's a mountain where they bored two parallel tunnels all the way through the mountain. The idea is the parts went went in one end, and the V weapons then go full circuit. And the V weapons would come out the other end, and they used Jewish slave labour in there. Yeah. So you, when you go there, it's the it's it's a very very strange place and i went there and uh, with a survivor who, who who took us round how amazing who told us about what what life was like there and this very strange not thing, a lot of fun i would not, imagine not a lot of fun and that perverse thing of you know these are these are high-tech cutting-edge weapons they're training the workforce to be able to build these things and then working them to death so you've this this very very strange you know, one of these we've talked about this before: Nazi contradictions, where you, you're 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 building this very important weapon to your war effort. You've you've created a skilled workforce, and then you're you're not taking care of that workforce. Mm -hmm. it's, you know, it's very and, old. And there are photographs of the galvanizing plant, for instance, in there where they're they're galvanizing the weapon so it will last. But the people doing the galvanizing have no protective gear on, so we're breathing the zinc fumes and they're being killed by the process on this high-tech weapon that, they, that, they're, that they're pinning their hopes on. And it's, very, it's a very strange place. And there are these great long pools, these great long pools with parts of um, V1s in them, um, in the gloom, in the half-light. And, and you see the cowl wow. of, the, of the engine yeah, yeah, yeah. and the nose cone and the tail and, 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 the, and the internal frame parts. Right. All lying around in this, in this. They're still there. They're still there. Wow. Or at least they were. They were. They were. Yeah, 10, ten years 15 ago. years ago when I last went there. And it's a very strange place. And there's, you know, inevitably there's the camp crematorium in the middle, mm. the gates where you, the, the, the entrance where you go. Oh, it's in. just so horrible. Isn't and it's it? and it's um, it's horrible. And as and has this thing in the heart of it, where they've got where the they're killing the people they're training to build this thing. That it, it just doesn't. Like so many of these things, with it makes with the no, no sense whatsoever. Makes no sense whatsoever. And, 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 and of course, and by this it's stage, built in losing. Yes. you're building in losing. <laughs> yes, into yes, doing yes. That. It's ever decreasing circles. Isn't if it? you carry on like that, there's no way you can win. No, no, um, no. And it's it's a it's a very strange place. And and you know the thing with the V weapon, with, with both the V weapons, is in the end they cost more to 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 make in human lives than they take. Yes. Mm. And more people are killed by the... The process of manufacturing than, 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 than... by the weapon itself. And the, the really interesting thing, of course, the V1, the V1, you've got that thing where you hear it coming and it's the fuck, fuck, fuck. My dad remembers hiding under the kitchen table in, with his, at his grandma's house. It's a sort of drone and it cuts Put out. In Putney, and then it, and then it cuts out. And it, because it's a pulse jet, the engine mm. is, is that it's right, John? Yeah, I mean, you know absolutely. much more no, about no, this than it's, it's I do. You're absolutely correct. It's a posture engine, which is why it makes that constant pop, 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 pop sound. Yeah, yeah. And then when it cuts out, it goes into a dive, and then, yeah. it, you know, a few seconds later, you're going to hear an enormous explosion. So, yeah. so you, most people, or most people I've talked to who remember this, were okay with it when they could hear it going yeah. pop, 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 pop. Yeah. Yes. It's the point where it stops, then you think, yeah. ah. And, what, what, <laughs> and, and I remember talking to Roland B. Beaumont the sort of legendary fighter pilot, post-war mm. test pilot, and he was one of the pioneers of how to get rid of these things, which was to fly up behind them in your, your Typhoon or Tempest and, and tip them over yeah. so that they fall in a field in Kent rather than in, in right, London. Am I right in thinking there's, they did one with a cockpit? That yeah, Hannah Reich of uh, Test Flu uh, one. 
It was it was it, it was given a tentative V number. I think it might yeah. have even been V four or V five. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and she test flew it, but it, it never went. The idea being that you would, that you would train it. your pilots just enough to be able to take to be able to fly these things into their target. Kamikaze weapon. I mean, the interesting thing is that these were separate projects. So the V1 was a, that was a Luftwaffe weapon. Am I right in thinking that? And the V2 yes, was so. an army weapon. Is that yes, right? Yes. Also, but the, the SS take over the, all these yeah, special yeah. weapons, yeah. don't they? After the um, after the assassination attempt. Yeah. And the guy who's in charge is the kind of sort of the most unknown SS general of them all, which is Hans Kammler. There's only one known photograph of him in uniform, which is where he looks completely blurred. And no one knows what happens to him at the end of the war. It's just one of these sort of great mysteries. And he's doing all sorts of weird stuff going on as well. Because yeah. they're also searching for zero point. You know, this idea that you create yeah. a, a vacuum so yeah. that you have no gravity and all the rest yeah. of it. Um, and, and there is reported films that they... they they did it in a certain yeah, lab right. and all this sort of stuff. Yeah, and of right. course, it's all bollocks, but it's great fun yeah, to think yeah, about right. it. Aliens. But, but Cameron, whatever happened to him, was, was he killed in he the fighting somewhere in... Swept Ch up by paperclip by the Americans or the Russian equivalent. Well, possibly. that's the key thing. He's in a gulag. He's yeah. still in the gulag, no, well, soldering rockets gulag, together. Gulag. He, might be, <laughs> he might be in Area 45 or whatever but, it's but called. The thing, the difference, or he might have been killed. But the difference with these two things as a, as a weapon, um, uh, and the stuff you read is that the, the, the V1, because you could hear it coming, it was... it did upset it was upsetting mm -hmm. the v2 would just go off you never heard it coming it was no. supersonic it, there'd just be this great big bang at the other end of the road or well, on top of, or on top of you yeah um and that was that and and in the in the morale reports people with the v they don't like the v1 the british civilians don't like the v the v2 they're going oh well whatever if it happens it happens mm. there's no point being scared of this which is i think a, a kind of amazing because the the british government again are they by late 1944, are really freaking out about. Um, well, they don't quite know what to make of the V2. With the first few explosions, they they um, they use a cover story of uh, major Ga major gas leak explosions. Yeah, explosion. gas leak explosions. Yeah, because I live around the yeah. corner from Stavely Road, where the first one in Chiswick went off, um, and they said that was a gas explosion. But it would bury itself, wouldn't it? Because it coming down at such a speed, so it actually did less damage than the. The V1, the V1 right? yes, in, in yeah. effect, because because the V1 would would come down, glide, and go off. So you kind of get an air blast out of it. Whereas the V2 is coming down at hundreds of miles an hour, would bury itself into the ground and then explode. So you get the different different effects of the of the different weapons. Uh, I think yeah. the, I think the V1 could have been much more effective. Uh, I think the, the things like the 20 committee and the, the British counterintelligence operation that meant that so many of the V1s landed in the wrong place yeah. right. was a great help. It's double to, cross. It's yeah, double yeah. cross. Yeah. Double cross system was a great help to the British. And if we hadn't got that in place and hundreds more V1s yeah. had landed in central London, then the story might have been different. Because yeah. we talked about this before: is why not? Why are they firing them at the Normandy <coughs> beachhead? It's, just, it's, just, it's because. Because they're idiots. Because they're idiots, you know, <laughs> because Hitler's in charge, yeah, you know, and he's just lost all... Because you, you just think, you, you, if you point every v, V1 in the, that you've got at your disposal at, at, the, at the Normandy beachhead, you're going to really screw the landing up big time. You'd have thought so, wouldn't you? Because there's nothing... First one's on 13th of June, I think. It's 13, yeah. 14 of June. They sort of like come that. to that realisation a bit later, don't they? Because well, a, lot of the, urging, a lot of the V weapons are dropped on Antwerp yes. later in, in an attempt to close the docks. Because there's a terrible tragedy um, in the so cinema, isn't there, where yeah, hundreds of people right. killed in the yep. cinema in Antwerp. But so Rommel, Rommel is, 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 is saying to Hitler before the invasion, let's... You know, let's get them out early and attack. And then once the invasion happens, he has this famous or infamous meeting with Hitler at Margeval in um, in Western Fr in Eastern France, and he says, "You know, mein Führer, let me turn the V1s on uh, on the beachhead." And Hitler says, "No." 
And okay. then, and then, what's really weird is that evening he Hitler, so Hitler is due on the 18th of June to then visit the Normandy beachhead. And what happens is a V1 gets misfired and lands about four miles away from where they are at Margeville. And he goes, oh, "Do you know what? It's too dangerous around here. I'm going home." <laughs> so he goes home. Actually, a few months ago, I went to see um, in Kent in southeast in southeast London, part of Kent rather than Great London, yeah. um, is the site of the last V1 to um, V2 rather to land yeah. uh, land in Britain, and it was the last civilian casualty on home soil, which is a, a, a 34 year old woman who was killed in when this this bomb came down and completely obliterated the house. But they didn't do what they were meant to do, which was break British morale. So no, and in fact, all that. I mean, killed one person on that yeah. last that yeah. last one. I mean, it's a hell of a lot of effort for killing one person. There's easy ways to do it. Well, there we go. Um, uh, thanks for listening. Um, as you could probably tell, this museum is a bottomless pit, so there'll be, the, there'll be more of this. <laughs> Cheerio. Cheerio. Cheerio.